Dystoblicans of the world. I'm Raul Guerrero, and I welcome you to the Dystopian Republic. The evening of February 3rd, 2013 is where today's story will begin. Recently modernized in apartment building rows above downtown Clemente showed off its pool and jacuzzi and pampered its tenants the way a bed and breakfast would. In one of its two bedroom units, Sunshine kept a close eye on a roasting chicken she brined in pale ale. She took it out of the oven when the timer reached zero, utilizing a cautious quickness she developed from working at Spesvia. Sunshine placed her chicken on the dining table and served herself a tall stout for a job well done. Comfortably hogging the sofa, Alexa and Flood Jr. had fun hating on the sensations Gaiotel and Telezoro cooked up. Whether it was fascists beating up communists or the other way around, the fights put up were bruising and egged on by audiences that ate up the anguish like filthy pigs snorting their chomps out of feeding troughs. Clifford's nightly surf through Pricep halted at the ping of a hello from a teen named Basilio. He pulled up the profile and wondered why its picture was familiar, then got an identical greeting from a girl whose name was Ainara. Clifford alternated his surfs into and down both pages and their contents had his mouth opened wide in playful shock. Calming himself down, he asked point-blank if the two were in fact Basilio Espinal and Ainada Lira. Clifford was told that the pair were whom he suspected they were and that they sent the same hellos to his cousins. That confirmation interested him as much as it did to Alexa, Flood, and Sunshine, bringing to mind a summer less memorable than some of their other chapters, but impactful nevertheless. The cousins huddled up, and Clifford asked Basilio how kind life has been to him and Inada. His question resulted in a three-minute wait that left him wondering if something was going down on the other end. Basilio assured him that everything was okay and that their internet shorted out, covering up the finds Kaisen and Shauna almost made. Not fully convinced, Flood asked Inada if she and her little F-boy were really fine and if they needed help. She answered that Basilio can only be called that by her threatening to come and twist his penis into a pretzel if he ever used that terminology again. Flood laughed it off, said sorry, and promised Inada that he won't call her mate 
that again. Accepting his apology, Basilio said that he and his love were in a place where they're really learning about what life has to offer. Sunshine added that she and her cousins were doing the same with all the hours they've worked at Specivia. Ainada asked if the four had Wednesday free because she and Basilio would like to meet up with them in Richelieu. The cousins looked at their schedules and found that they were off work for the next three days before working back-to-back eight-hour shifts. Clifford told Basilio and Ainada that they couldn't have picked a better time to ask, saying that he and his cousins would love to meet them again, but needed to know where in Richelieu to go. While those six were having their textual exchange, the TV, Alexa and Flood muted but didn't turn off, showed an especially graphic brawl on Neutral. It wasn't a show the network did, but rather their documentary on twin episodes that resulted in hefty fines and the convictions of many involved in their productions. Owned by Zanker Property Group, Richelieu Delgado Mall glorified the beautiful grace of the woman it was named after. Portraits and paintings of her modeling self from 1958 to 1973 plastered the grounds like a memorial. No mentions, depictions, or even hints of her tenure in the Yellow Cross existed at any place in the mall. Its direct proximity to the interior wetlands east of Richelieu only added to that exotically posh smokescreen. For the mall, Wednesday had as early a start as any other day of the week, letting Basilio and Ainada freshen up and change into what they purchased in time for breakfast. Alexa, Flood, Clifford, and Sunshine took turns driving to shorten their arduous trip to Richelieu. Basilio and Ainada dined on chocolate chip waffles and mocha lattes, looking around with a feeling of being privileged. They looked out the mall's northwest exit and happily stood up as the cousins eagerly entered. Basilio yelled a cupped-handed hey that Ainada followed with a scream that asked what was up. Trading frozen smiles, they and the cousins had a hard time believing that the six of them were actually face-to-face. Ainada recalled her first step off the bus and subsequent stop at the sight of a four she knew only as the booted jackals. Like countless others in middle school, Basilio was well aware of the cousins' rivalry with the hooded robins. Both he and Ainada weren't intimidated nor felt any apprehension toward the jackals imposing their great postures mere feet away. But instead, the pair saw the cousins as their escape route 
from whatever crushes in the middle all sides may attempt on them. Basilio and Inanna believed that their Espinal and Lira-last names would mix well with the Cavas, Mingos, and Sanzes. One scrupulous look at each of their faces were all the jackals needed to be reminded of Erasmo, Basilia, Olvin, and Yailin. This started a story that paused when the summer ended and resumed over five years after the fact. Basilio firmly shook hands and manly hugged Flood and Clifford, whereas Inada, Alexa, and Sunshine were ebullient yet considerate with their embraces. Their banter was blown onto its side by freshly printed wanted posters of Austin, Andre, Arlo, and Avery. Alexa quickly looked away in a refusal to acknowledge a menage war that she was miserably ashamed of and held responsible for the privation that tried making her hate life. Clifford stared holes into the posters more bitterly than a man who'd been conned into doing and saying things that left him alone with nothing. How blindly he wolfed down every ideal the Yellow Cross served became the foremost source of his self-disgust. The posters took flood back to when he first heard that the Robins were wanted for attempting to murder Hull, Jilson, Ray, and Swindon. It was a wake-up call that showed him how easily he and his cousins could have ended up just like their hooded rivals. Sunshine was astonished at how the Jackals and Robins' fortunes have completely reversed since the fallout from their last encounter. She told her cousins that they don't have to worry about those Palencia B-words any longer because they've effing won. Basilio's mouth remained closed to breathe the ex-Jackals' reactions into his nostrils and garnered in eagerness to experience what lay ahead. Inada widened her eyes, slipped out a chuckle, and grinned with an amusement as snarky as it was fierce. Even now, no mentions of Robbie the Fourth's murder or the hooded Robin thefts were made on the posters. The cousins walked fast to avoid having to see their ex-rivals for a second more and get their day with the pair underway. Once a group again, Basilio asked Alexa how things were going at Spesvia and with Saffron. Her answer was that work had its ups and downs with managers and customers alike, but was handling them just fine. Alexa asked Basilio if he knew Saffron and what she did for a living, prompting him to say that he and Inada have interacted with her in the past. Flood still couldn't fully grasp how Saffron turned out decent and not depraved or supercilious like her big brother. Clifford told him not to forget about that lorry kid who met an end 
he'd never condone, but felt it was a fate nothing short of fitting for a boy like him. Sunshine's ask if Basilio and Inada knew about Robbie was met with an understanding that he was a trust fund brat of the highest and most abominable order. Alexa said that she's glad there's one less bad Maretto to toxify the waters of Pricep or Bromelia at large. She conceded that being abominably bratty wasn't exclusive to Robbie by any means, but found his case to be more public than most. Basilio and Inada waited for Alexa and her cousins to bash Xander Jr., but were disappointed and fairly miffed to see them move on and not make such a rant. Few Brumelians on the mainland or abroad weren't aware of how the Marettos and Kirchners wielded their power like royal scepters. Evidence of this was the mall itself in the products its stores sold and everything else both families owned, but one of its more recent extensions would be Robbie and Xander's friendship. The parent cousins walked into a Loicone Renola as a customer flipped out in frustration over every one of his payment cards having insufficient funds. That person's pleas for financial help were denied by virtue of his income level being beneath the store. Alexa wanted to puke at how haughtily he was shamed by the cashier and other customers. She stormed forward, forced her debit card out of her wallet, aggressively swiped it across the reader, inputted her pen, and authorized the purchase. Alexa took the receipt that printed out at a spark's speed, handed it to the person, and advised him to leave before he gets accused of shoplifting, but not without wishing him the best of luck. She directed her cousins and the pair to turn back, as it was her belief that the Loicon Renola in Richelieu only wanted to serve their kind. On her way out the door, Alexa handed a managing associate her recommendation to be more on top of how his employees treat their guests, saying that there's lots of room for improvement. She told the other five that they could safely cross shopping and dining at Loicon Renola off their agenda. Basilio told her not to let that god-awful experience get to her because all that'll do is bring her pangs she does not deserve. I not a thought that the perfect way to inject fun into their veins was by paying amazing Brumelia a visit, as its presence was the common person's middle finger to the one percenter it was forced to call its neighbor. The pair and cousins' walk out of the mall and into the amusement park was like an old brick suddenly acquiring a gymnast's flexibility. Rides spun without a care, reached for the skies, or went on adventures within a fixed time length. The park countered the mall's restrictive 
formality by emitting an energetic freedom that could be noticed from afar. The pair and cousins truly began their day by giving themselves the urge to hurl by climbing onto one intense spin of a top after another. Their shared nausea was no match for the joyful screams that filled the holes formed by their story's paws. They stumbled on out, forcibly took over a restroom building and puked like dogs, but each gag and spit added leaves and vine to their bond like ivy overdosing on fertilizer. The pair and cousins flushed their mush and stepped out with an enthusiastic readiness to run into round two, which put the priority on height and not spin, but like all novelties, its tank inevitably used up its last excitement fume giving way to a stinging hunger. Alexa said that the stings repeatedly driving in and out of their stomachs would best be stopped by meat, potatoes, bread, and sugar. She, her cousins, and the pair munched on junk food as if today was their last, getting solidly stuffed and tasting addictive flavors until taking another bite or sip risked a day-ruining spew. They sat and gave nature her chance to get far enough along the digestive process to make talking riskless. When Alexa asked Basilio and Inanna what they've been up to, the answer she got was not one, diluting her highly concentrated smile. Clifford's experience as a checker taught him to observe people closely when they don't readily respond. Basilio forced himself to unconvincingly chortle that his and Inada's lives were enviable and in no trouble. Clifford pressed him to be honest and asked her Alexa's question, letting the pair know that their answer didn't wholly convince. Inada said that she and Basilio had it much harder and were only now beginning to reverse their less than spectacular fortunes. Sorry to hear that the pair didn't strike gold the way she and her cousins did. Sunshine wished society was kinder to the tired and sick. Flood asked Basilio and Inada if they'd not be such weirdos and explain how their lives have been hesitant to improve. That one his smug look twin smacks to the mouth that caused it to bleed and fatten his lips. Flood was as ticked off that he got smacked as Basilio and Inada were for being called a word they hated with a passion. Alexa, Clifford, and Sunshine kept them from laying fingertips on one another by wrestling them back in their seats. Enraged demands to be let go deterred none of the three in their shared aim to stop a brawl from breaking out. Alexa's order for Flood to say sorry to Basilio and Inada and for the pair to do the same to him wasn't smiled upon.
All it did was make her the target of their sweating scowls, and even that lasted for all of four seconds before the charging and wrestling repeated. But this time, hits and grabs connected, causing blood to leak out, skin to internally break, and for a large hole to partly punch through the splintery tabletop. The pain Basilio and Inada were in was an eleventh of what shattered Flood's nose and smashed his face up. Sunshine's skin crawled at how loud and blunt the impact was as Clifford's guts sadly wrenched at the agony in front of him. Alexa's already boiling anger spilled out of her temper's big pot and roared up in flames when Basilio and Inada panted at flood with a lustful rage more soaked in sweat than their hideously prideful beams. The pair's pride flushed to a shocked, silent gasp when the cousins gave them grimaces that were stronger than mostly any scene. Flood popped his bloodily lacerated face out of the partial hole and joined Alexa, Clifford, and Sunshine in wanting to break Basilio and Inada louder than a rap's bubbles being popped with one deafening stomp. The pair darted away in fear and the cousins gave chase like they never ceased being jackals. Fear was drawn all over Basilio and Inada as Alexa, Flood, Clifford, and Sunshine were relentless in their pursuit of them. The chase sped across rows of carnival games, turning heads and distracting concentrations as intrusively as a high-speed pursuit wailing and speeding by. Some rooted for the pair, and others cheered on the cousins, but most wished that all six got what they deserved for their reputations on Pricep. The chase reached the parking lot behind the park, which was packed to the brim with vehicles and people hanging out. This briefly disorientated the cousins and allowed the pair to hunker down and hide to regain their stamina and think of their next move. Each time, Basilio and Inada looked out and didn't see their pursuers. More of their composure came back, crafting a route where their intent can be made good on. The cousins split up in a plus sign to cover every space of the parking lot, but caught the pair running back into the park. Their pursuits Second leg sped in the inverse of where its first screamed down, but with much less fear and a lot more purpose. The cousins thought they were chasing the pair out of the chaotic park and back into the radically coof mall. They lost sight of them in the crowd amassed outside Loicon Renola protesting for middle-class wages, dental insurance, and paid vacation time. The cousins fell 
under the disorientation that dizzied them in the parking lot until aerosol sprays induced shrieks that slammed on the strike's brakes. They caught Basilio and Ainada running from the protest with a laugh that saw the prospect of optic damage as a joke. The cousins ran after the pair and tackled them as if they had run from the scene of a felony that resulted in serious harm. They angrily flipped Basilio and Ainada face up and discovered that they weren't the two at all but lookalikes known for their mischievous acts on working people. Alexa asked the mischiefs if they've seen the pair she and her cousins were after, repeating herself when they made their hatred of her obvious. Out of fear, the two told her that they heard Basilio and Ainata comment about the mall's east exit being their very possible salvation. They hysterically begged to be let go and were released so that the protesters can hold them until police arrive. Herring on, before one thanks could be given, the cousins didn't see the scorn drawn all over the mischiefs. They had a hard time comprehending why Basilio and Ainada would find refuge in a section of wetland notorious for its poisonous plants and venomous reptiles. As expected, the east exit was blocked by a half-circle fence that only the company that built it could unlock, yet that same boundary appeared to have recently been opened. Basilio and Ainada emerged from the shadows beside where the cousins stood and blew black mist into their nostrils like sprinklers moving from left to right. The screams their blows caused were sugar and caffeine to their taste buds and neurons, but did more to heat up their pursuers' will to chase than cool it down. Alexa and her cousins' worries increased in intensity the closer Basilio and Ainada got to the part of the mall where Richelieu ended and Slough Isle began. The chase banged down an indoor pedestrian bridge that suspended over a very alive stretch of river. Basilio and Ainada's determination turned sinister when they led the cousins past the city limits line and into a vacant part of the mall that had an uncanny quietness to it. Alexa refused to allow a hum and hiss to scare her into turning back and Flood told the pair that they've gotta stop running eventually. Clifford advised Basilio and Ainada to face their accountability or as Sunshine put it, they'll eat more than their just desserts. The pair drained their staminas to evade their pursuers and relied on their hunker in a closet to recharge them in full. They got away from Alexa and her cousins by throwing back 
canisters that spewed smoke that did more than form a cloud wall. The pair's rib cages tickled at how their pursuers anguished about corroding from the outside in. All but in heaps, Alexa and her cousins run past the smoke burned them more acutely than a barefoot stomping on an electrified floor. By the time they powered above their corrosive symptoms, Basilio and Inada had gotten away and possibly for good this time. An intercom turned on and Basilio told the cousins that wallowing in their failure wouldn't be necessary. Clifford wanted to know what possessed the pair to hurt Flood, then him, Alexa, and Sunshine, asking where their bond went. Inada answered that their friendship didn't go far and will reveal itself shortly, but in a form true to life. Flood wondered what she meant by that, as Sunshine was afraid that things were about to get real dire. But Alexa gave what was coming a face ready to do battle, yet Clifford's gut told him that there may be more to what the pair said, a discomfort justified by the lights shutting off and snapping on, but in a red dimmed by an encircling teenage crowd. Shivers paralyzed the cousins, and the youth on those surrounding them made their shared stun that much colder. Alexa wasn't so eager to fight now. Sunshine trembled at how her fear was coming alive. Flood felt ill looking at the kids before him, and Clifford saw bits of his former self in them, albeit with individualizing variations. Basilio introduced the cousins to twelve members of a kind where he and Inada found the only belonging Dave ever experienced. Flood seriously hoped that abusing those kids wasn't what the pair had been up to all those years. Inada told him to relax and Pinky swore that she and Basilio had nothing to do with the injuries sickening him. Clifford asked the pair why they're doing this and yearned to know what they wanted out of him and his cousins. Inada yelled that a jackal like him should have anticipated being in the predicament he's in now, finding his obliviousness distasteful. Basilio added that the same went for Clifford's cousins and called them out for thinking that their bullying of him and his mate would simply be forgotten. Alexa asked the pair what they've really, really been up to, but kidded herself and said that the brats who hurt them were dead. Basilio yelled that those booted S-words were very much alive, but Inada added that they won't be for long. The cousins dared the pair to try them, saying that they'll fail this time around as they have in previous ones. Basilio and Inada's knees shakily bent in a nearby booth-like closet as their brains succumbed to a memory surge limited to the summer of 2007. Their eyes clenched shut at how that period embittered their minds, ravaged their bodies, 
and corrupted their souls. Basilio said that the time had come for the cousins to taste the medicine they and others shoved down his and Inada's throats that summer. Alexa, Flood, and Clifford came to Sunshine's level of horror and braced for an overdue comeuppance without noticing that it contained an interest layered on top of the principal. Basilio and Inada passionately kissed, then jointly screamed for their fellow untouchables to attack and go all the F out. The crowds swarming of the cousins played out like vultures closing in on a kill that turned out to be alive, kicking and hot for bloodshed. Their expectation of a short trip to vengeance was squashed by their opponents' sheer unwillingness to be their B-words. The cousins fought so dirtily that the landfill looked and smelled clean in comparison, but that was nothing to them as surviving was all that mattered. But no number of strikes below the belt or rakes to the eyes were enough to stop the crowd from getting back up as the desire to make that vengeance come true was their fuel. Right as the cousins' escapes were in sight, their attackers got the best of them by bluntly hitting their skulls with aerosol cans. Flood and Clifford were dizzily concussed but still standing, whereas Alexa and Sunshine hit the floor like kettlebells cracking concrete. Their attackers could taste vengeance as they heaved the cousins upright and badly cracked their kneecaps like windshields. They beat Alexa, Flood, Clifford, and Sunshine as if they were the cars of a smashing bash, an instance of brutality that pummeled on for 66 minutes. Basilio had their crowd put the cousins up and point their faces forward. Then Inada said that she and her mate would love to see their work of art. The pair held hands and walked to the scene with a laugh that was drunk on a catharsis that tickled them so. Basilio praised their crowd for doing an admirable job in replicating the hell their quote-unquote friends unleashed on them. Inada commented that it was as though her and his vengeances had been depicted on stage, calling it an authentic beauty. The cousins looked like they had been repeatedly rubbed against a cheese grater and hit by meat tenderizers over and over again. As gravely bloody and violent their physical injuries were, their mental ones were indescribable and burned their spirits to ash. Flood wanted nothing more than to blow Basilio and Inada to pieces with a bomb and use their charred remains as kindling. Clifford animalistically snarled that God will get the pair for their unpardonable deed, saying that their souls were unworthy of mercy. Basilio yelled that the beating was what the cousins got for spearheading the bullying he 
and Inada endured from arrival to dismissal. Clifford found that accusation patently false, utterly disgusting, and a shameless attempt for the pair to justify their brutality. Flood didn't bother backing his cousin up or tell the real story to the crowd as it was his belief that the attackers weren't reasonable people. He also presumed that the kids tearing him and his cousins to shreds were morally on the same level as Basilio and Ainada. Alexa was in such a trance that the trauma driving it stained, rotted, and embrittled every fiber of her mind, altering her thinking and ultimately her personality, bawling her heart to loose sludge. Sunshine begged for the brutality to stop screaming for anyone to help her and her cousins, a plea that came raiding in with their weapons drawn. Officers demanded Basilio, Ainada, and their crowd to get down on the ground, menacing them with warning shots and threats to do a lot more. The cousins were so overcome by what had been done to them that they passed out as police rounded up their attackers. But incredibly, Basilio and Ainada evaded capture to head for Aldricom, leaving the crowd that made their revenge possible behind to deal with the cops. They underwent emergency treatment at the University of Bromelia at Richelieu Hospital and spent the next seven days recovering. The TVs in their rooms didn't work for some reason, so they weren't able to keep up with the news of the day. Alexa asked her nurse if she could have her can back and said that it was highly valuable to her. She joined her cousins in receiving a yay that reunited her and them with their most precious mementos. Their cans each contained 13 arils of an extremely rare spice that's harmless when enclosed in lead but deadly out in the open, found only in a militaristically guarded and remote copse in Amarifrica, the death cover mace was known as nature's boreum. Beyond it being unimaginably lethal, its rarity made each aril worth well over half a billion dollars. The cousins could safely handle the cans with their bare hands as the outermost layers were made of a specially protective tungsten. This was also why they never once unscrewed the cap or ever grew curious to find out how the arils looked. No one knew that the cousins possessed the death covers and those four were hell-bent on keeping it that way. They saw the arils as the best things Jansen Sr. had ever given them and will be forever grateful that he entrusted them with something so deadly. Under Brumelian law, possession of the death covers was a felony that could result in a prison sentence of 25 years and fine. 
as high as a million dollars. The cousins understood the dangers that their A-rolls could pose to the world if they were to fall into the wrong hands. They weren't naive to the fact that every nefarious faction and their rival were after the death covers and would do absolutely anything to obtain them. The TVs regained their signals and showed them news that Basilio and Inada jumped to their deaths after kidnapping Xander, brutalizing him and being cornered by authorities. Alexa believed that the deaths were well-deserved and called for the Almighty Lord to judge the pair based on their actions and not what they say. Flood was glad that he and his cousins won't have to deal with Basilio and Inada or live in fear of them ever again. Clifford wished that he could find it in himself to someday forgive the pair, but felt that it'll be a long while before such an inclination develops. Sunshine worried that Basilio and Inada's deaths were a beginning and not an end, thanking particular people from years past for making what was done to her and her cousins hip and cool. By instruction of the cousins, their attending physicians forwarded the necessary reports to their primary doctors so that their physical and mental recoveries could continue upon their return to Clemente and 18 minutes after 4 in the afternoon. Alexa, Flood, Clifford, and Sunshine walked out of the hospital on the mend but still in pain. The cousins made sure their special cans were in their backpacks, then took a group selfie for their pricey followers to gush over. Their ride back to Clemente was void of any radio time or surfs through their feeds, allowing them to indulge in a quiet they haven't experienced since the night Basilio and Inada re-established contact with them. Prior to stepping into their apartment, they found the letter Saffron wrote, sending them her wishes for a sure recovery. Finally home again, the cousins melancholically rejoiced being in their safe space, Pinky swearing to always be for and together no matter what. Alexa shut off her smartphone, cradled herself on her left side, and was in dreamland after a few snores. Flood and Clifford played a party game on their video game console to relegate their recent experience to the backs of their minds. Sunshine stood out on the balcony and held its fancy railing, watching the passing luxury cars and walking yuppies with a relaxedness dimmed by a sickening worry her leopard sunglasses hid. She believed there was no truth to what Basilio and Inada alleged, but contritely bit her nails over the people whom she and her cousins have actually wronged. Sunshine wasn't looking forward to coming back to work tomorrow and assumed that Alexa, Flood, and Clifford weren't either, fearing what she and they will walk 
into watching the locals normally go about their days failed to bring her any assurance that the pair's deaths won't take her and her cousins down a certain road. Her senses told her to expect Gaiotel and Telezoro to spin Basilio and Ainada's demises for their own financial and cultural benefit. As deplorable as that was, it was typical, yet the storm raining and striking its lightning on the cousins' price pages very much wasn't. But because Sunshine, Alexa, Flood and Clifford had signed out, they had no idea that this was happening. Therefore, the cousins could not anticipate just how serious things were about to get for them and their followers, and as fate would have it, their history with Basilio and Ainada, the cans in their possession, and their unfinished business with Austin, Andre, Arlo, and Avery would conjoin in a fateful spiral. And that was a pair's wrath. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the story I just gave. Share this show with everyone you know. Make sure they share it with everyone they know. Check out my website at www.rss.com slash podcasts slash the dystopian republic. Send me your respectful questions and constructive feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com. And lastly, support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypal me slash Raul Guerrero Jr. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero and come again for another gripping, thoughtful, and sinister episode of the Dystopian Republic.